Welcome to Woodland Church. Here is today's message. We can uh, get into the sermon today. I know you guys are all waiting patiently for this. Not really, I know you guys are. I'm going to try to keep you guys awake today. That's my goal. Okay, I'll just forewarn you there. But we are in a series called Waiting for Our King, and we have been in the book of Thessalonians, and I actually looked this up, since June, which is really not that long of a time, but we've been looking at the books of First and Second Thessalonians, and we have been looking at what the Lord is doing and speaking to that church, and how do we apply it to our lives here? Well, in this series, Waiting for Our King, we just got done finishing talking about Jesus' second coming. Now, Thessalonians has a lot to say about Jesus' return. And it's interesting that, that, that at the end of 1 Thessalonians, we get, how do we live this out? How do we wait for our king? And I believe how Paul finishes First Thessalonians is, is basically teaching us how do we wait for Jesus here? Because as he was writing to them, he just got done talking about Jesus' coming, and then he, he ends this book in this series that we are talking about. Last week, we looked at the relationship between the congregation and church's leadership here. Church leaders are called to be leading well, to labor well, to be working hard, and to be serving and the congregation, how do we love and respect the church leaders? And I talked last week on how maybe some of you have lived in church for a really long time and you have seen really good church leadership, or maybe you've seen really poor church leadership. But how are we supposed to live together? And well, we're going to continue talking about that this morning, but not in that aspect. We are going to be shifting gears because Paul is going to be shifting gears from church leadership to congregation, from just the congregation. How are we supposed to live as we wait for our king? What does God tell us in his word on how do we interact with one another? So if you have your Bibles, please turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and I'm going to ask for you to stand this morning out of respect for God's Word. And we are going to be reading verses 12 through 15 once again. So we read these same verses last week, but let's, uh, let's turn. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, starting in verse 12. God's Word says this. He says this, We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord, and to admonish you, and admonish you, verse 13, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace amongst yourselves, verse 14. But we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Let's pray. Father, remind us today how your people are called to live. Remind us today how you challenge us in these areas, Lord. Father, as we wait for your return, we desire to honor and glorify you in our lives. 
Father, come, encourage us, challenge us this morning. We pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys may be seated. As we wait for our king, it's interesting that God's word talks about relationships. Last week, we looked at relationships between congregation and church leaders. And this week, God's word talks about relationships amongst church people. How are we supposed to live? How are we, how are we supposed to interact with one another? And God's word, I don't know if you have realized this, but God's word is constantly talking about how his people and how his creation is called to interact with one another. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but, but think about the Ten Commandments. Some of them are about honoring God and making sure that we only worship him. But when you look at the other ones, it's about relationships. Do not steal. Do not lie. Do not commit adultery. Do not covet. Those are all based on interactions that human beings are going to be having. And God warns us back then and throughout all of Scripture, God is constantly talking to us about relationships. How are we supposed to have relationship with one another? It's almost like it is the most important thing to God. That how you and I respond to one another, interact with one another, it's almost like it's the most important thing to God. And I believe that it truly is. Relationships, and the reason why God talks so much about relationships is because he knows relationships are difficult. I don't know, I brought this one up last week too, but if you've been in relationship, maybe you're married, maybe you've got kids, maybe you've got a parent, you probably have one of those things. Maybe you got a girlfriend, maybe you got a roommate. We all live in this world of relationships, and relationships are difficult. Maybe you guys have never experienced relationship problems. Um, maybe it's just me. I totally get that. This could just be me here, that like, pastor, you're the problem in all relationships. You're the issue. If you ask my wife, she might agree to that. Maybe. I don't know. Maybe, honey. But, but relationships are difficult. Relationships get so messy so quickly. Some of the biggest stresses in our lives are relationships. Relationships having struggles. Co-workers. You fill it in. Relationships are difficult. But I believe that this is why God is constantly speaking about relationships. And, and, and how God finishes the book of 1 Thessalonians is literally just saying, listen, in light of Jesus' coming, in light, yes, our king will return. In light of that, I want to talk to you about relationship. How are you going to interact with one another? And, and basically, that is what God's word is, is, uh, is speaking to us today. So look at with me real quick, verse 14. I want to kind of break this down in verse 14, 5, 14. God's word says this. He says, we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. These first words saying, we urge you, brothers, he is shifting gears from talking about church leadership and congregation to everyone. 
This is applying to all of God's people, all of the church family. This isn't just like, well, this is like somebody else's problem. This word is for like somebody else. This word is for the entire church body. And he says, we urge you. Meaning like, this is really important. What I'm about to speak here in this letter is saying, listen, you should really pay attention to this. And he starts off, and he talks about three types of people and how we are called to be interacting with them. Now, I would first of all say this. God's word here is not summarizing three types of people in this world. There's more, there's more situations here. But what he is doing in his word here is that he is speaking to a specific group of people at a specific time about some of the issues they were facing as a church. And he starts off and he says, first, admonish the idol. Now, you might be wondering, like, what are we talking about here? Throughout First and Second Thessalonians, God's word has a lot to say about people who are idle in the church. Now, you might be like thinking like, okay, like what kind of idle? He's not just talking about lazy people. He is talking about at that time, they had people in the church, in, in the church family that were attending church, that they kind of wanted to be a part of the church family, but they were idle in God's activity. They were idle in work in general. Paul actually addresses that, that uh, the church at the time, they had people who were unwilling to work. They were like, listen, Jesus is coming. I'm not going to be doing anything. I'm not working. And they became a burden to the church family because the church family was taking care of them. They were basically helping them out. And, and Paul addresses that as well, saying, listen, if you don't work, you don't eat. That comes from 2 Thessalonians here. But the idol he is addressing here is that they had people in the church who were basically busybodies. Busybody is somebody who seems busy, who wants to come off at the appearance of busy, but they're kind of busy within everyone else's life. They had people in the church that were busy doing a lot of talking, and a lot of their talking was causing a lot of problems. So they had people who were, who were basically idle. They were, they were part of the church family, but they were actually causing a bunch of problems because they were gossiping about this and talking about this, but they weren't actually doing anything in God's kingdom. And Paul here, as he is finishing off this letter, as we are waiting for our king, Paul says, this is how I want you to interact with these people. Admonish them. It means basically call them out. Say, listen, listen, you can't be living like this. You're causing issues in the church. You're causing issues in God's family. And Paul says, listen, you need to have that conversation. Now, I realize within our world, we don't like having confrontational conversations. I don't think anybody in this room wakes up thinking, man, I can't wait for that for that type of conversation to be taking place today. This is a difficult conversation, but if you look at it in light of God's church and God's people, this conversation has to be taking place. When you have people in a church that are causing issues, causing problems, you can't let those ones go. You can't just say, well, we'll just love them. We'll just, you know, ignore it. 
Paul literally says here, listen, as you are interacting, when you got people that are, he uses the, the term idol, but, but as you look at 2 Thessalonians and actually earlier on, he's literally talking about people that were causing troubles in churches. And Paul says, listen, you got to have that conversation. It's a difficult conversation. And I'm not saying, and Paul is definitely not saying that we should have that conversation in, in a loving way, but the conversation needs to be taking place. And I've been in church long enough, and I've actually seen this play out many, many times. And I can tell you this, it's for the health of God's people. When you got people causing issues in a church, now I'm not saying we do. I'm not preaching to just one person here today, so don't think like, hey, I'm talking about you here, Pete. You know, since Pete's sitting in the middle, and because we're friends, I can say his name from up here. But if you let them go, if you let the issues go, they only grow. And I, re- I remember at my last church here, we, uh, we uh, had, had this family that was just causing all sorts of issues, causing all sorts of, of problems. Uh, I would definitely call them busybodies. They were busy gabbing about this, gabbing about that. And everywhere they went, it was just like this cancer was just constantly growing. They had something negative to say about this person. They were talking about that. And finally, Pastor Rich, my old pastor, said, listen, i got to deal with this. This is So, you know, he had that weird conversation. And it is a difficult conversation. But if you're looking at the health of God's people, of God's family, it's like a cancer. You have to address it. You can't just ignore the issue. You have to address it and address it head on here. And that's basically what Paul is talking about here, is that if you got people, as you are interacting with them, you got to have those difficult conversations. But I think for the church body, it's not just leadership's role to have that conversation. It's not like, well, this person's causing troubles, so I'm just going to let the leadership have this conversation. He's talking about the entire church family. As you see issues, we are supposed to be loving one another and caring for one another and doing this together. The second type of person that God's word talks about as we wait for our king, encourage the faint-hearted. Now, if you do not know this, I'm going to tell you this for the hundredth time since June, what was happening to these people, to this church? What kind of experience were they facing in life? I'm just going to tell you the word once again, persecution. This church was facing persecution. A lot of trouble. A lot of issues. When the church first got planted, Paul had to leave there at midnight, Paul and Silas, because they were under persecution. And as Paul is writing this letter, letter back to them, he is encouraging them to be encouraging the faint-hearted. At this time, this church would have had people that would have been very faint-hearted. They would have had people that were definitely struggling because society had rejected them. Society did not want them. They were getting beaten. They were getting jailed. And you can see that that would have wore down the person. I don't know if you've ever lived in a place where you are underneath constant persecution, constant discouragement. You need people to encourage you. 
And this is what God's word is saying here, is that, listen, you're going to have people that are going to be faint-hearted. Now, for them, I would say it was heavily the persecuted people. But for us today, we have people in our congregation right now that are feeling very discouraged, very faint-hearted on life, in their life circumstances, in what is happening within them. And Paul says, listen, I need for you brothers, we urge you brothers, church family, to be men and women that would encourage the faint-hearted. And I think something that we really need to realize is that we have to have wisdom to distinguish people, to distinguish relationship. It, I know some people that have a one-way mindset of how to deal with every single person. You know, some people think, you know what, everyone just needs a good kick in the pants. That's just what everyone needs. So every conversation they have, they're constantly looking for a way to be like, listen, you got to just, come on, come on, you know, get your life together here. You can't do that, right? Like say, not everybody needs a kick in the pants every single day. Some people need encouragement. But on the, on the other side, Sometimes you need to be encouraging someone to stop being idle. And we have to have wisdom as the church body to distinguish this. It's really, really easy to get into like a one-track mindset in life to where, to where you just basically are like, well, I, I just need, I'm just going to treat everyone the same way all the time. And I would just say, you can't do that. Like, like, we have to have wisdom on when somebody needs encouragement, when someone needs to be basically challenged. It's, it's all part of that relationship God calls us to be having with one another. And I, I just want to encourage you guys, really, really think about that. Especially this encouraging the faint-hearted. I cannot tell you how many people I'm coming across, not just in our church family, but in society in general, that are very faint-hearted right now that are very discouraged right now. How can God's people, how can his church, his body, live this out? How can we see when someone is feeling faint-hearted or discouraged? And encourage them, God's word says. I want to talk about the third interaction that God's word talks about today. He says, help the weak. Now, this one might be a very, very obvious one to us all. Well, obviously, Pastor, we got to help those who are weak. But once again, I'm going to give you a little bit of a cultural context to, what, to who he is speaking to. He, 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 he is speaking to the Greeks. And, the, and at this time, they do not value weakness. Like, and I mean at all. The weak in their culture are disregarded. Feeling weak? See you later. And Paul's writing to them and saying, listen, you're going to have weak people. You need to, need to help them. Now, who are these weak people that Paul is addressing? Because I do think that is important. Are we talking about strength? You know, like if somebody shows up and they just got those real, real skinny arms and they're trying to be lifting something and then you come in and you're like, well, yeah, I should probably help the weak here. He's not just talking about like physical weakness here. And he's not even talking about spiritual weakness. 
If you look at how these people are, or like who these people are, if you turn back to the book of Acts chapter 17, you will see the type of people that come to faith in this, in this uh, church, basically. And it's interesting. In the book of Acts, it talks about there was prominent women that got saved. And what that word means was that there was people within that church that were part of high society. They were the upper class of their world. That, the, that, that basically they were, I don't, I don't know how to even like compare it to like today's world. They're the doctors and lawyers or, you know, they are the upper class of their society. And it's interesting that Paul reminds the church about helping the weak. Because that class, there was clearly a class system. Very, very like clear class boundaries at this time. Unlike today. I mean, you know, we still have classes within our world. But it's, back then, it was like there was upper class, and there was basically lower class. And the upper class, uh, we don't really interact with the lower class. So as Paul is writing this, he is basically saying, listen, church, help the weak. Those who are part of that lesser class, those who actually need help, those who have no voice, those who need someone to come alongside them, to walk alongside them, and to help them. Now, like what I said, I kind of feel like I'm slightly lecturing here, but what we're seeing here, and I've said this earlier on, God is challenging us to relationships. He's specifically talking about relationships within a church. And I think relationships are the most important aspect of a church family. If we're going to be a church, if we're going to be God's people, how do we interact with each other? And I don't think you can really carry out any of these if you don't actually have relationship with his people. I'm not talking about just coming on a Sunday morning, but, but like ultimately, like, like, how do you encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, admonish the idle? How do you do that if you don't know anyone? If you don't actually have a relationship with his people? And I, my biggest prayer and my biggest thing is that like, I want to see God's family, God's church, God's people, our church here at Woodland to be men and women that are interacting, that are connected with each other. It's really, really easy to attend church on a Sunday. And I think that that is important. God, God commands us to gather as a body, to worship him, to, to, to uh, read from his word. But I want to just, just really challenge us, church family, how do we have that relationship outside of Sundays? How do we interact with one another outside of just a Sunday morning? Do we have people over? Do we, do we spend time with his people? Do we interact with them? Because it's really, really difficult to encourage the faint-hearted if you have no idea if someone is struggling really, really difficult. Like, you know, you can, you can talk about it, but, but like you're not really walking alongside of them. And I think one of the biggest hurdles 
we face, which God's word is going to be addressing here, is that it takes patience. You know how patient you need to be to work with people? You guys all have jobs. Go to work. Got that coworker that just drives you nuts. It's like, oh. Look at how he ends 14. He says, we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. It's easy to get frustrated. Relationships are frustrating. I get it. They're difficult. They take time. They take work. It's not easy. You need patience. And this is why he ends it here. Be patient with them all. Requires time and long-suffering. Look at Ephesians 4. This is Ephesians 4, verses 1 through, through 3 here. God's words says this. He says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Verse 2. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Walk in a manner worthy of your calling. As a believer, as a Christian, you have a calling upon your life. It's no longer your life. It's no longer my life. When we come to Christ, God's word teaches us that we die with him. You are coming to die with your Savior so that you will be raised with him as well. Meaning like our lives, it's no longer about our desires and our wants and our thinking. It's like, Jesus, I'm coming to you and I'm going to die with you and I want to be raised with you. We are exchanging his life for our life. And it's a worthy exchange, I can tell you that. But the challenge is, is how do we walk this out? How do we walk in this manner that we are called to? With all humility and gentleness, with, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit. What would our church look like? Church, if we actually lived this out, if we actually walked in relationship with one another, and actually wanted to get to know one another and have a relationship. Now, I realize we all can't, you know, you can't have 100 friends. I totally get that. But how do we invest in each other? How do we care for one another? I mean, my prayer for this church and for, honestly, for all of God's churches is that there would be unity and there would be love for one another in God's family. That men and women who, who attend church won't just look at it like, hey, I'm going to come and sing, be singing a couple songs and be hearing a sermon and then I'm going to be heading home. I want us to be looking at his church through the eyes of this is the relationship God has called me to. It will be difficult. There will be ups and downs. There will be frustrations. But God calls us to walk in patience with one another. To be patient and it's difficult. I totally get it. I totally get that, that uh, how this is, is that it is difficult to live this out, but I believe it is our calling. 
I believe that as we wait for Jesus' return, this is the calling that God has for our lives. God cares so much about his church and his people that, that he says, listen, this is how I want you to interact with one another. This is how I want you to live this out. One last thing, verse 15. says this. And this one, I think, is, is truly vital. He, he says, See that no one repays another, repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. And I realize I brought this up, but I want you to think about these people's circumstances. Like what I said, persecution, right? These people are getting persecuted daily, imprisoned, beaten, flogged, fill it in. There was, there was a lot of pain coming to God's people at this time. And this is how he kind of ends this kind of like sentence here. Make sure that nobody repays evil with evil. You know how difficult it would have been to be living in those conditions and not wanting to fight? You know, like say, like, you know, like us Americans, we are, we, <laughs> We have the ability to fight in this country, right? There is a reason why our founding fathers gave us the right to bear arms because if our government turns on us, we have the right to fight them, according to our Constitution. But these people, they had no rights. And they were getting beaten. And they were getting imprisoned. And you can see that there would have been difficulties that they would have been facing. And I don't know about you. I'm personally a fighter, you know, it's like I, when evil comes, I want to fight it. I want to fight it with whatever power I have. I totally get that in my flesh. But Paul here is reminding them, listen, the evil that is being done to you, church, the persecution, the beatings, everything that is being done to you, I do not want you to repay evil with evil. And we have to just really recognize that. You know, in... And this is on like a major scale of like persecution in very, very difficult circumstances. But how do we live that out? The classic example I always think of is we do have ag aggressive drivers in our church family here. That may be you, that may not be you. Somebody cuts you off. What are you going to do? This is like at the basic level of repaying evil with evil. Are you going to put it down? and then try to pass them and try to cut them off and then try to slow down. I, I'm sure nobody here has ever done that. I'm just assuming that this is all hypothetical. I totally get that. This is just... But it's, this is how life works, though. When evil is done to us, it's very easy for us to operate out of our flesh and want to get back, want to do an eye for an eye, that we within us, we want to respond to it any way possible. And this church, like I said, they were facing tremendous evil being done. And I could, I could actually see them meeting. I, could, I can visualize these church people gathering in homes at night, talking about the circumstances that they are going through, talking about how their, their family has disowned them, how they are now abandoned by the world around them, getting beaten, getting imprisoned. And I can see them meeting at night, talking about what they have been going through. 
And it would have been so easy to start planning, how do we get back at these people? How do we fight against our neighbors and against the world around us? It would have been so easy for them to be planning this out because of the evil that is getting done to them. And Paul reminds them, do not repay evil with evil. We don't live how the world lives. The world wants to react that way. But it's a challenge to them, and I would say it's a challenge to us. He says, do not repay evil for evil, but always, always seek to do good to one another. Really, really think about that, church family. Seek to do good to one another. Don't seek to repay someone when they said something bad to you. Don't seek to criticize. Always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Not just in the church family, but to everyone. To live this out. And I believe this is our challenge, church. This is our calling, is how do we live this out? Living out, admonishing the idle, encouraging the faint-hearted, helping the weak, being patient towards everyone. Make sure nobody pays evil with evil. Seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Church family, this is our challenge today in God's Word. As we wait for our King, as we wait for the return of our Savior to come and rescue His people, God challenges us to live in relationship this way. And I want to just encourage you today and challenge you to be living this out as well. It is my prayer for you guys. It's my prayer for my own life as well. I'm going to ask you guys to stand, and, and I want to pray for you this morning. The worship team is going to come and lead us in one more song, and then we're going to pray over, over, over offering today. But let me pray for us. Father, God, as we look to your word, Father, as we wait for you to come for us, Father, you talk to us about relationship. Father, help us to be men and women who live out your word. Help us to die to ourselves and let your spirit lead us and guide us. Father, I thank you for your word today. Remind us of these words on Monday. And as we live in relationship with one another here, but also, Lord, as we live with relationship with people outside of your church. God, I praise you. We ask this in Jesus' name.